and welcome to episode 9 of the Last Word on Sands podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, today we are finishing a West in the division previews, and then we'll have two more coming up, uh, either in the next day or two, or I might, I might spread them out a little bit, I'm not sure yet. Um, but yeah, as of right now, uh, we're finishing with Winnipeg coming out today, and then we'll do uh, Montreal and Toronto in the next couple days as well. And uh, I've had some great conversations. They're all recorded and, and ready to go, and I'm, I'm really enjoying doing these. So, you know, I, I hope everyone enjoys listening to them as, mu- as much as I enjoy doing them because it's been an absolute pleasure so far. So, um, yeah, today I, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, real quick, I wanted to, you know, touch on a few small things just because, uh, well, not even small, but pretty big pieces of news not related to Ottawa, but uh, we're already seeing some positive COVID tests. And, uh, you know, the, the NHL's already having to work around. We've seen it in the NBA as well, but uh, the Dallas Stars uh, got a bunch of positive tests back and they have now pushed their season start date back to the 19th. Um, so that is already a, a, a pretty big hit, considering that this is a really condensed schedule as it is. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. The, the, right now, the plan is to remake or re- reschedule all the games and, and fit them in at some point. So we'll see how the NHL does that. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets also had about, I think it was six tests uh, for players and two for staff. And so, you know, I, I don't know. Their, their start of the season might be up in the air, but uh, we're already seeing, unfortunately, COVID creep in the league. And it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with it because, uh, you know, it's not like in the bubble, um, you know, where you can try to try and lock everything down. Um, you know, it's, it's more likely than not over the next couple months, a couple more cases pop up just because, you know, these guys, all of them have families as well and their families are going out and doing stuff and, you know, who knows what their jobs are. You know, some, I know here in Ontario, the schools are shut down and it's all online, but some provinces they're not. So, you know, if you're, if their wife's a teacher or something like that, you know, or just, you know, working anywhere really out in public or going to get groceries, uh, you know, you can catch COVID anywhere. So, uh, it definitely won't be, I think, the last time we hear about some COVID cases in the NHL here, but uh, it'll be important to keep an eye on how they monitor it and, and what they do with it. But um, uh, that's enough rambling from me. I'll get to the conversation with Winnipeg. I really enjoyed this one. I think you all will as well. So uh, as always, if you uh, want to hear anyone specific on the podcast, hit me up uh, at NHL Sends and stuff on Twitter. You can also find the podcast at Last Word on Sends on Twitter. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this uh, chat. Joining me now, he is the NHL Jets Nation writer, uh, John Malloy. Thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? I'm doing very well. Uh, thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good as well, you know, just cranking out these division previews. I believe this is the last one for the Western teams that I'm doing, and uh, they've been going great so far, and I'm excited to uh, – preview another really interesting team you know the storyline of this Canadian division has been just about every team has its own storyline that's really interesting to get into this year and and Winnipeg is no different you know Um, a lot of a lot of um, storylines coming in for them so we'll we'll get right into it and uh, you know I've been starting with you know what they did last year and uh, I would say it was overall probably a pretty disappointing year last year. You know, I, I mean, they had Bufflin, the surprise walkout at the beginning of the year, and and that kind of really left their decor empty. And, um, you know, it, it was a good year in terms of they were battling for the playoffs, but then, you know, uh, in the bubble injuries added up and they just couldn't beat a, a Calgary team that was pretty strong. Um, well, what were your impressions just last year of the fan base? Was it a an overachievement given their blue line, an underachievement given – the rest of the talent or just kind of where they were expected to be? Um, I do think that uh, 
the defense problems were they were definitely big, but I do think they sort of wound up being used as like a scapegoat for the end of the year. I, I don't think people realize how bad the Jets skaters were. I mean, obviously we know they had holes in the blue line, but they are pretty, I think most people would agree they're very strong up front. Uh, the problem last year with the Jets was they were just overly dependent on Connor Hellebuck. He was having to stand on his head and basically bail them out on a nightly basis. Um, and while I do think Hellebuck is obviously a premier goaltender in this league, I just don't think you can realistically count on him to repeat what he did last season just because it was so absurd. Like, I don't think people realize just how much of an impact he had on their record when it was all said and done. The Jets actually wound up finishing dead last in uh, expected goals for percentage. So we're talking like lower than the, the Detroit Red Wings, lower than everyone somehow. Uh, so the reason they were able to find any sort of success last year is quite single-handedly, in my opinion, due to Connor Hellebuck. I mean, he led the NHL in goals saved above expectation last year. Now, for anybody who's not familiar with that stat, it's a metric based on expected goal models. So unlike your basic save percentage, which operates under the assumption that all shots are created equal, goals saved above expectation value saves based on shot quality. That's primarily judged by shot distance. So not an exact science, of course, but it's a lot more accurate than any raw data you'll be seeing most outlets citing. So with that in mind, I think the Jets will drastically need to change last year's approach because it doesn't seem to be a sustainable formula. I don't think you can really count on Connor Hellebuck being this God-tier goalie who's playing like Prime Hasek night in, night out, because even if he starts to play like just an average goalie or even a very good goalie, they are probably going to be a much worse team. And that should be very alarming considering they barely made the playoffs last year. Yeah. I mean, this is, you we're getting right into it with my, what my issues with are uh, with Winnipeg, you know, I personally, when I, I'm doing these division previews and, and I have to try and rank where I have teams, I have them out of the playoffs just because of that fact that uh, Hellebuck was so good last year. Like, um, obviously, you know, exactly just what you stated is goal saved above average goal saved above expected was just off the charts. Like he was, I, I feel like people don't realize that like without him, they little, they legitimately probably would have been a bottom three team in the league. And like he, just the fact that they were, I think, you know, half a point percentage away from the actual playoff, like ninth or whatever. Right. Um, right. like I, I feel like he should have gotten more heart votes than, um, he got not just Vesna, like legitimate heart votes, because that's how good of a season it is. It's just, you know, with the way the uh, awards voted on it, you know, a, a goalie doesn't usually get it unless they have uh, a Carey Price type season where their, their team finishes first, like in 2015, uh, I think, or 14. But um, yeah, like Hellebuck was so amazing. And my biggest issue is um, you mentioned just regression. I feel like it's going to be natural, you know, like um, there, there's so there, there's no goalie. I don't think in the league this, uh, right now that I would, I would trust to repeat that back to back. And I mean, even Hallibuck is the story of his career has been up and down a little bit, but he's always been an above average goalie. When you look at his last three years of goal saved above expect or average, uh, 21 goal saved above average last year, 4.7 the year before and 20, uh, three years ago. So we've seen him do it twice in uh, three years, but not back to back. And that's just because I think it's such a high bar to hit that, but I mean, even again, as you mentioned, even if he's around the 15 mark this year, which would still put him atop of the league, the, the team didn't really improve their skaters uh, too much this off season to the point where 
I, I worry about, you know, it, it's got to be a whole team adjustment because um, as you mentioned, you said their forward core is really strong, but uh, I don't, I feel like people don't realize how much five on five, a lot of the forwards struggled. Like if you look at uh, basic Corsi four expected goals, you know, there was no jets forward this year who played uh, more than 300 minutes at five on five, who had a, a positive expected goals. And, and when it went to Corsi, it was Ehlers, Kopp, uh, Roslovic, and Wheeler were the only four of 13. So um, it, I feel like it's got to be a buy-in team team round here because it can't just be the defense. It can't just be the forwards. You know, everyone's got to buy in here. Yeah, I think you made a good point on the forwards too. I think the best way to describe this Jets forward group, they are a very solid group. I mean, forwards are without a doubt one of the strengths of this team they probably aren't as solid as most might think. And that's because I think hockey fans just in general, they'll tend to overvalue points and the jets do have quite an abundance of finishing talent. And this leads to a lot of their players, you know, being near the top of the league in points. You can find Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor coming up on a lot of highlight reels, but you're also going to see them on highlight reels for all the wrong reasons as well. Right. And that's because this group has some very poor defensive showings uh, when you look at expected goals against per minute, and, and once again, for those who don't know, this is a stat that determines how many goals are expected to be scored against you, once again, based on shot quality. And so when you look at this metric, like Kyle Connor and Mark, Mark Shifley, they were the two worst forwards in the entire NHL. So while there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of stars and you know, name brand talent up front on the Jets, but their complete game is lacking. And with that being said, I couldn't really care less about defensive metrics as a standalone stat because you can overcome defensive shortcomings if you're an offensive stalwart and vice versa. I think Connor McDavid is the poster child for this, right? Because he routinely finishes in the bottom of these defensive metrics as well, but he makes up for it with offense. What you bring as a net positive when it's all said and done, that's what I, and I think anyone would, would argue is all that matters in the end. And this is what might surprise people the most. It's that the Jets forwards, and their top line in particular, they aren't as good offensively as points make them out to be either. The main issue with points as a measuring stick is that it's not factoring in time on ice. So point totals can be inflated by heavy usage. And that's definitely the case in Winnipeg. Because to pull up some more numbers here, once you look at even strength points per minute, Kyle Connor is only 50th in the league. Mark Shifley is 64th. Blake Wheeler is 138th. So they're point per game players, yes, and they're always going to appear at you know the top of the list offensively, but they're lacking that elite level of efficiency as well, and that top line in particular. Yeah, it's a great point, and it kind of you know we see this with players around the league too. You know, it's kind of been the argument with uh, for and against Patrick Kane uh, the past couple of years, just to name one player where. It, he's going to put up, you know, tons and tons of points, but at times he gives so much back in the defensive end where it's like, okay, how much of a net value are you providing here? And um, as you mentioned, like this Winnipeg forward group is extremely skilled. Like you can just, you tune into any random game during the week and, you know, watch a couple minutes and there's a very good chance you, you'll see that skill on display. But you know what uh, sometimes people don't bother to mention is that yeah, coming back the other way, it, it can be an absolute mess at times. And, um, you know, they have th this team is so interesting to me because they have just a ton of names on it that um, I feel like public perception doesn't exactly match up with, you know, what they are or what analytics at least are saying they're providing to their team. And um, it's almost swung 180 degrees from 
you know, uh, where it was a couple of years ago, where this team, you know, just three or four years ago was an analytics darling, you know, the next team to break out. And then they had that great run in uh, 2018, I believe, when in the conference final. And from there, it just kind of felt like since then, I don't know if they, they it felt like it's been underwhelming, you know, like some of their players just, um, whether it's been defensively, offensively, they haven't produced uh, analytically quite as you would hope. And it's led to the point where it's like, to me, this team is no longer a cup threat, but it, you know, it's more just, they're kind of on the bubble of playoffs. And I feel like just with the raw talent that this team has, there's no way they should, they should be there. They should be much higher up uh, where they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think that they've at least got a little bit better. I mean, I'm expecting their forwards to be a bit better than last year, uh, at least on paper, you know, reacquiring Paul Stasny should help mitigate some of those defensive woes, at least a little bit. And it probably gives them maybe a bit more flexibility in terms of what they can do with their lineup. And he was also, of course, a part of that 2018 run. But like you said, I think people are still sort of, maybe the public perception is a little high on the Jets because they're remembering that 2018 run and how great it was. But, you know, things aren't, uh, you know, all good things come to an end in this Jets team. And Mark Scheifele in particular, I think, is got to be the most disappointing because there, there was a point in that, I think it was the 2017, 2018 cup run they made where there was like a 40 game stretch where he had just come back from an injury. You know, they had Blake Wheeler playing center for a bit and then Shifley came back and he was just an absolute monster. I mean, like his, his Corsi four percentage was like 55%. Uh, his, his goals for percentage and expected goals for percentage were hovering around like that 62% range he was just like a monster. He was looking like he was going to be like a top five center in the NHL. And then things sort of just went downhill from there. He's hasn't, he's not putting in the effort defensively anymore. He's very lazy on back checks. He's not winning puck battles along the boards. It's just, uh, he looks like a totally different player. And it's very disappointing because you think like this Jets team, they could return to form if their number one center was a top five center in the league. But as of right now, Mark Shifley just appears to be maybe just an average first line center in the NHL, not that, you know, offensive cornerstone and franchise player elite player that we, we maybe once thought he was. Yeah. And it's uh, again, Shifley is another one of those players where, you know, it feels like I've been listening just more and more radio shows, uh, you know, as hockey season gets ramped up and, um, it's one of those things where a lot of people just seem to think he is almost that top five center. You know, I was listening to one in, in Toronto and, and I get it that, you know, you can't, not everyone can watch everyone or, or keep up to date with everyone, you know, Toronto based media is supposed to be watching Toronto based players, but they were like, Oh yeah. Shifley's like right on the edge of that top five, top 10 center. I was like, no, he's not. And then, and then they're ranking the top five centers in the Canadian division. And I think Shifley should be right in there. Um, but you know, they were like, you, he has to be in there. It's like, I, I don't think he has to be, you know, off the top of my head, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, Pedersen are all better. And then you can take your pick between, you know, him, Tavares. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe one of the, the, the Montreal, uh, like depends how heavily you want to land, lean into analytics at, versus points. But, um, you know, I, he's, he's definitely one of those examples where it's like, and, and you know, he's a good player. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like he's a bad player any, by any means. He's still a 1C. It's just, it definitely, the gap there is still just, there's a little bit of a difference between, I think, sometimes public perception and what analytics say. And um, I'm really curious to see because, you know, on paper, this top six is one of the best in the league. And, or it should be anyways. They have the talent to be. And, you know, you got Ehlers, Shifley, Wheeler, uh, Kyle Connor. And as you mentioned, Paul Statsny should be a huge addition in that 2018 run 
bringing in Paul Statsy really, really helped them. And uh, I know he's older. He's not quite the player he once was, but I- I'm really curious to see if, you know, uh, a line like Kyle Connor, Paul Statton, Statsny, and Patrick Line can, you know, find some chemistry again now that he's back. And and if that a little bit more depth at center uh, helps them out at all. Yeah, I mean, the Stasny thing should, it should drastically improve this team because if you were watching that uh, second half of last season and especially that that series that they were in with the Flames, like they had Cody Eakin centering Ehlers in, uh, in line. And I mean, that's you're just not going to, you know, I mean, you, you could, but realistically you're not going to be winning a Stanley cup with Cody Eakin as your second line center. So he will help them tremendously. I think uh, Paul Stastny, but uh, before we maybe move on to like a different position group, I, I don't think we can talk about the jets forwards without talking about who's probably one of the most underrated players in the league. And to maybe do this, this uh, forward lineup a little more justice, we have to mention just how great Nikolai Ehlers is because when I talk about how low those other jets players were like that first line with Connor Shifley and Wheeler, how low they were in scoring efficiency, and Nick Ehlers was 17th in uh, in five on five scoring efficiency last year. So he doesn't see as much ice time as those guys. So I, I also think the key to him being a better, uh, this team being a, a better play driving offense and just a better team in general is increasing this guy's role because he's consistent, uh, consistently a top player just in terms of controlled zone entries. He, he's a menace with the puck on a stick. I think he needs to maybe lead this group of forwards in ice time instead of sort of being like that fourth, fifth, sixth option because he's just... I think he's one of the best, better players in the league. And he could be a reason that maybe in an increased role, you can see this forward group improve. Yeah. I, again, that's a great point. I think, you know, Ehlers, um, he reminds me all the time and, and they don't play uh, the exact same way by any means, but he always reminds me of William Nylander, but out in the West, um, you know, they're both guys where for whatever reason, it, it feels like they don't get the love they deserve. You know, they're both very, very effective uh, players that almost identical contract, you know, Ehlers, I think is uh, better in his own end than Nylander is, but, you know, I think Nylander is a little more uh, stout offensively maybe, but honestly, like they're very close in terms of the value they bring year in, year out. And, um, you know, for, for Ehlers, it's one of those things where, where Nylander, he's behind Marner and Matthews and Tavares. And it's like, those guys are very, very efficient and great players. And so you can kind of see where he fits in as the fourth wheel. Whereas Ehlers, like, again, as much uh, talent as Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine and um, Mark Shifley have, uh, it's it, like the data shows something's not working to the extent that you would hope. And I definitely think you make a, a great case in the, um, in asking for Ehlers to get more ice time. Um, you know, he is someone that I think if you let him fly, like maybe it doesn't work, but at, at this point, you know, what, what's the harm. Right. And um, you know, another player that I've really liked on the uh, um, Winnipeg Jets has been Matthew Perot up front. You know, again, he's a guy that for years, it felt like you wanted to see him get more ice time. And um, you know, last season wasn't his greatest season by any means, but we have a lot of data to suggest that he's a solid forward. And, you know, at 33 years old, how much can he ask from him? I don't know, but, uh, I feel like if we're talking about Winnipeg depth, uh, he's got to be the place to start in the bottom six, at least. Yeah. The only knock on Perot has ever been his injuries. Right. And he's oddly enough, two days ago, he was like, it was the first day of camp. He, he got it. I don't know how it happened, but he got injured again. Um, yeah, Matthew Perot has been like, honestly, my favorite player on the entire team for years. He kind of has been their unsung hero. Um, like you said, I, I think that's maybe dwindling a little bit because he is getting up there in age and especially just the way the guy plays, right? Like Perot, he's, if I were to tell you that Matthew Perot, like the way he plays, like he's very hard on the four check, he, you know, he plays the puck really hard. 
Um, all the things he does, you'd think that he's like a six foot five type player, right? But he's, I think he's close to like, he's like five ten or something. Like, and he used to be the type of guy that I would call him the sort of like the free space on the bingo card for the Jets, because you could put him anywhere in the lineup, the first line, the second, third, fourth, and he would no matter what make that line better. I do think those days are behind him. I do think that he will improve on, on, I mean, hopefully improves on last season because it was very disappointing. He kind of lost that, uh, that title as an analytics darling, if you're going off last year's stats, but maybe we can see a bit of a bounce back from him and where he sort of becomes somewhere in between back in his prime and where he was last year. But I think that's sort of the problem with this year's Jets, right? Is you're kind of banking on a lot of guys to return to what they were in 2018. And while it certainly could happen, we could see, you know, Mark Shifley get back into that top five center conversation. We could see Matthew Perot start playing like, you know, one of the, one of the better forwards in the league. We could see Josh Morrissey become a first pairing defenseman again, but it's a lot of question marks. And, uh, you know, you can't be super confident in their, in their chances of, you know, A, making the playoffs and B, if they do, I mean, how far can they go? Yeah. And I think um, it's definitely, you got to ask because when you, when you look at them and you compare them to some other teams, they're not as deep. They don't have the blue line. Um, the one thing they have going is I'm very confident in saying they have the best goalie in this division. Um, the problem with that is goaltending could be so random that, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, you know, because uh, they can probably go as far as uh, Hellebuck can take them. But, you know, as we saw last year in the bubble, uh, a three-game sample, anything could have happened. And they unfortunately just didn't get the same Hellebuck. Not that it was really his fault. The team was just kind of outclassed. But, um, you know, th- there's obviously the possibility that he can steal a round or two or whatever. But I-, I think if you're banking on that, which it feels like the Jets are to an extent, um, you're going to be asking for a lot of trouble and sometimes it works out, but you know, a lot of times it doesn't either, you know, and that's kind of been my biggest issue on the blue line this year um, is, you know, if we want to shift to that is they didn't really, you know, last year they widely had one of the worst blue lines in the league and they brought in Dylan DeMello at the deadline who, you know, as a Senators fan, I, I loved watching him play. I think he's a really effective player, but uh, he's a solid three slash four guy where he, you know, if, as long as he's not the best player on his pairing, he's going to do good. But I don't know, like, it just feels like other than that, they didn't bother to upgrade it. And maybe they're just trusting that someone like Sammy Niku can really step up and take a big role this year. But I, I think if they really wanted to um, improve this team, looking at the, the back end would have been the way to go. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, and they, it's no secret that the, this is the Achilles heel of this Jets team, right? I mean, there's no name brand talent on the entire blue line. I guess what they're probably banking on, and it's you got to hope for a, a bounce back season from Josh Morrissey. And I think we learned last year that Morrissey and Truba were very codependent as partners. Uh, Dom from The Athletic, and I'm not even going to try to attempt to pronounce his last name, he was uh, on the podcast a little bit ago and I butchered it. So do not okay, worry. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're a bit ballsier than me. I, I, I might even attempt to do that. Cause yeah, I would, I would totally butcher it too. But uh, he had a really good piece last year that, uh, that sort of outlined maybe why they were very codependent as partners. And I think the best way to explain it is that they were both so perfect in each of their roles, right? Morrissey was very strong at defending the rush. Like he ranked, it was uh, 47th in controlled entries allowed because he was, he's very good at preventing breakouts at the line. He makes very smart pinches. 
he was doing all the things that you look for in a defenseman whose main task is defending the rush. Truba, on the other hand, his responsibility was exiting the Jets' defensive zone and starting the offensive rush. So in their last season together, Truba was in the top 40 for defensive zone touches per minute, while Morrissey was dead last. So when you replace Truba with a guy like Tucker Pullman, who was Morrissey's, I think he was Morrissey's most his most common partner last year, Morrissey was asked to do a lot more. And while he's still very efficient at carrying the puck out of the defense zone, the lack of having a partner adjacent to him who can do the same has really complicated things with his game, or at least that's how it appears. And that top pairing production we were seeing out of him in years past just dwindled. And that's why I'm, I'm very intrigued and, and to see, and you brought up Sammy Niku. I'm very intrigued to see Sammy Niku who was, he was actually, I'm not sure if you saw this, but the Jets line rushes came out on Monday in camp. And this could just be because Tucker Pullman's out with an injury right now, but Sammy Niku was on the top pair. Now, Sammy Niku hasn't been a good player at all for the Jets. He's got all kinds of potential, but he just hasn't lived up to any sort of expectations at the NHL level. But he can be very good in an offensive transition role, and he can be a better replacement for Truba than Pullman. He's not going to defend as well as Truba did, but I think the Jets need to realize that their bread and butter this year, it has to be playing for more offense anyway. Playing passively with guys, which they did last year, who can't defend just seems to be playing to your weakness, in my opinion. And so if they are really shooting for more aggression and rolling with the Morrissey-Niku top pairing, I'm very interested in seeing how that pans out. I don't have super high expectations because Sammy Niku could very well be in a just egregious at defending, you know, some of the, the top lines in the NHL. But like I said, I'm at the very least intrigued to see how that type of thing could pan out. Yeah, and that would go a real long way, I think, for this Jets decor as well, because, you know, as you said, even if they're kind of average or, you know, you bring Josh Morrissey back a little bit, like, uh, I, I feel like sometimes people don't realize how much he struggled last year. He was, he was really, really bad. And like, I, I hate this, or, you know, not like really, but like just from what we've seen in years past, he really struggled and it makes sense. You know, like, uh, the, the decor got gutted last year and, you know, even, even losing someone like Tyler Myers, I, I there's no way I would pay that price for him, but, um, you know, and I wouldn't play him in my top pair, but he was a legitimate NHL defenseman. So, you know, you, you lose him, you lose um, Truba, and then Bogosian, or uh, not Bogosian, sorry, Bufflin walks out on you uh, last second. And, you know, it, it's easy to see why this uh, this decor struggled, but uh, they struggled so much to the point where Dom had another article this year. And, um, you know, Morrissey, just by, from his model, ranked so poorly last year that he was one of the worst. I think it was 10 contracts in the league, just from an analytical viewpoint, because of how long it goes on. And if he doesn't bounce back, this is going to be a lot of negative money. And, you know, so I, I think priority number one on the the back end, definitely for the Jets, is have to be not fix Josh Morrissey, but, you know, more so find a partner to help him. And, you know, if someone like Sammy Niku can be that, I think that would be great because, you know, then you'll start to look at the rest of the decor and it's not great, but it goes a long way. You know, Neil, Neil Pionk, I'm really curious to see what he can do this year because he was one of the few guys who I, I thought really surprised me in a good way last year. You know, like I had very low expectations for him in that trade and he played, you know, reasonably well. He, he wasn't a stud or anything like that, but I, I thought he played pretty solid. And then, you know, you got Dylan DeMello on your third pair with Nathan Beaulieu or someone, you know, Derek Forbert maybe, you know, and then, um, you know, you go from there and you got a couple another young guys in the, in the, the minors, Dylan Sandberg, Vinny Hanola, you know, Hanola looked amazing at the world juniors. Um, 
I don't, I don't think you'll see time this year, but you know, it starts to look like a blue line that this year and going forward, you know, looks more respectable, but it, it all really hinges on someone like Sammy Niku stepping in and helping a guy like Josh Morrissey. Well, I'm really glad you brought up uh, Sandberg and Hainola too, because uh, those are two guys who you'd hope that they could join the lineup sooner than later, because they are very solid prospects who, I mean, it doesn't look like Sandberg's going to make the team, unfortunately, but he's a guy I'd hope that can maybe make like a midseason appearance. I think right now the Jets are scared of throwing him into the NHL because he hasn't played in like almost, a, I think it's been a full year. He was playing college last year with uh, with Minnesota Duluth and their season, of course, was cut short. And I think it was what, March, whenever COVID really got bad and everything started shutting down. But uh, conversely, that's why I could see Vili Hainola quite easily making the team. I mean, he's a half season ahead of most prospects at the moment. I know league has already started their season. He's played what I think is somewhere in the ballpark of like 20 games already. And I know they paused the season for a bit in December, but uh, I think they're back playing now. And then, like you said, obviously there's the world juniors. He's gotten some extra playing time uh, as well. So, you know, if you were concerned about maybe rust coming into camp you're certainly not worried about Hainola because he's he's in mid-season form already. He's probably played around like 25 to 30 games. But what I love about both of these guys in particular is that they're quality transition demon. These are guys who are good at exiting the defensive zone and contributing to breakouts. And I think anyone who watched last year's Jets knows that this is something that they need in spades. Like I said, they, they played very passively last year due to their lack of defensemen which sort of, I think, suffocated their ability to generate any type of offense. And I, I, like I said, I don't agree that's a good strategy. I would personally shoot for more offense and play to my team's strengths. But that's, like, Paul Maurice has obviously established that that's not his style. So something I'm hopeful for this year is that a guy like Kainola can come in, sort of strengthen that decor up a bit, strengthen their ability to clear the zone, and hopefully in turn give Maurice the confidence to play a bit more aggressively because he knows he has some more stability on that Jets blue line. Do I see that happening? Mm, I still think this defense core is, is going to be the Achilles heel once again, but there's at least a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And that light is kind of what keeps me, you know, talking myself into why, you know, that, and I, I really, I, I love the, the talent in the top six. I just want to see him put it all together. And, and those kind of things are, you know, what really talks me into why, um, you know, I, I can't count this Jets team out of the Canadian division, even especially a Canadian division, even if I'm lower on them than, you know, the general public might be. Um, and it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, the, the other talking point I, and you, you mentioned with Paul Maurice is, um, you know, he I think he's generally regarded as one of the better coaches in the league. And, he, you know, he got a contract extension this past year. And I don't know, like, I just I, I wonder just seeing the results of this team. And I get last year, it's like, what can you do with the at times with that decor? But as you mentioned, like they really sat back and just, you know, tried to play defensive defense at times. And it's just like, well, you don't really have the personnel to do that. So I probably wouldn't try to do that, you know? And it's just like, and same with like just how disappointing some of their high end talent forwards have been. I wonder, you know, would a different coach change that? You know, what's your opinions on Paul Maurice? Is he a good coach, bad coach, just one in the uh, the middle that has some some tendencies of both? You know, where where do you stand on Paul Maurice, and you know what what do you think his future should be with the Jets in a in an ideal world? Well, I think that, and like I said, there seemed to be this sort of built in excuse last year that the defense core 
was holding the Jets back. And while that was obviously the case, like the Jets were, like I mentioned, I think when we started the podcast up, the Jets were dead last in goals for percentage last year and expected goals for percentage last year. So I don't think anybody could look at this roster, even with the holes that it had and say, oh yeah, they're the worst team in the entire, this is the worst roster, uh, at least from a skater standpoint in the entire NHL. So I do think that there's something to be said that Maurice isn't getting the best out of his lineup and that he was sort of bailed out by Connor Hellebuck being like the best goalie in the world last year. I mean, people were calling for Maurice to win the Jack Adams trophy, which was just absurd to me. Maybe he showed Hellebuck some prime Hossack highlights and said, play like (laughs) this, in which case, sure, maybe give him some credit, but, uh, no, I don't think he really deserves any sort of praise for how the Jets snuck into the postseason last year. Um, I don't think there's anything you can substantively attribute to him having a positive impact on the team. Yeah, I, and like that's kind of where I stand. And yeah, and exactly. Like I couldn't wrap my head around, and I mean, I, I can wrap my head around it because you know, you you look at a good coach, I'll give you a good goalie. That's just kind of how it goes, you know. And the um, the Jack Adams Award is definitely. Uh, best, you know, coach of the year, coach of the team that we didn't think was going to be that good and ended up being better than we expected. And a, a lot of times that uh, that comes from um, a, a hot goaltender like they had last year, you know, a great goaltender. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm curious to see it's not going to happen or, you know, not in the near future anyways, because he got was it a two year extension last year? Uh, sorry, I'm just looking it, it up. More, it was three or four. I don't have the. Uh... Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was more than two. Yeah. And he was extended yeah. before it expired as well. So there was also a year waiting for it to kick in. Exactly. So it's just kicking in now and you know, it's three or four or whatever years. And so it's, it's long-term thing where um, it, it's pretty clear that uh shovel day off isn't going to move away from him this year or maybe even next year, you know, unless things really, really, really go the wrong way. But um, I just, I kind of want to see a different coach behind the bench, even though it's not going to happen, just, to see if anything else would come from this lineup. But um, I, the the one other big, really big thing I wanted to talk to, I feel like it'd be doing a disservice to talk about this team this year and not bring up, you know, uh, the fact that a couple of the guys uh, might be looking for a trade. Um, the, the biggest one that we know is he said he's not coming to camp. He doesn't have a deal right now. That's Jack Roslovic. He, he's demanded a trade as of the other day. Um, Roslovic's an interesting player. You know, there was a lot of hype for him. Uh, he was drafted 25th overall back in 2015. And uh, to be honest, he just has never really panned out to, you know, what some of the expectations were, you know, he's been a pretty disappointing forward at five on five. He hasn't had very high point totals and, you know, maybe that's not all his fault, but at this point it, it does feel like maybe a move away from the organization would be the best for both sides. But I really don't see what, uh, what Winnipeg's going to get for Roslovic in a trade at this point? I, I feel like you're not going to get much back, but I don't know. Do you, do you see that any differently? No, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, Roslovic, the concern to me with Roslovic demanding a trade isn't that, because like, Roslovic hasn't really earned it. I mean, he's not going to, we were talking about how great that Jets top six is. That's where Roslovic wants to play. And like, I'm sorry, but when your, your wingers are Blake Wheeler, Patrick Liney, Cal Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, there's just simply no room for Roslovic to fit in there. And there's no, I mean, maybe if you spread the lineup a little bit and, you know, didn't think of it as a top six and maybe played more of a, a top nine, there's room for Roslovic, but just has he earned, uh, has he done anything that's maybe go like, you need to play this guy? Absolutely not. But I think the, the problem with Roslovic isn't just, and with him asking it for a trade is that 
he's just one in so many people who have wanted out of Winnipeg. And so that's where I think you have to start thinking about rebuilding the culture around Winnipeg because they have this, like I said, alarmingly long history of young talent being frustrated, demanding, or wanting to be traded. And it, like, it doesn't just stop at Jack Rosovic. Paul Maurice has a bad habit of giving spots to vet minimum type players who are known commodities, like mediocre to bad commodities. So players like Lucas Abisa, who's going to be on the Jets blue line again this year, players like Cody Eakin, who we mentioned was in the Jets top six miraculously last year, guys like Anthony Botetto, guys like Matt Hendricks, who were all well into their late 20s, in some cases already in their 30s. So we know, we know who these guys are and we know that they aren't very good and that there's no realistic room for improvement. And so Winnipeg is already at a disadvantage when it comes to attracting talent because it's Winnipeg. It's very blue collar. You know, there's not much of a flashy nightlife here. There's awful weather. There's all the jokes about us not having an airport and all the rest of it. So at the very least, I think you need to start convincing the players you draft that they should stay here. You need to convince them that this is an organization that will put their young players in a position to succeed. This is an organization that offers promising careers to anyone with potential. And it's not like this comes at the expense of icing a worse product because we're talking about giving high quality prospects who have upside lineup spots over players who are already bad. I mean, the worst case is that the prospect fails, which guys like Sabisa are already doing. So yeah, you know, maybe Rozovic doesn't deserve, uh, you know, any type of credit. He doesn't maybe deserve to be this guy who deserves to play in the top six, but if a guy like Hanola or Sandberg can't crack the lineup this year and they're looking and saying, this Jets blue line is horrible. How come I can't crack this lineup? I think you're just going to keep seeing that list of people wanting to be out just increase and increase. And this, this Winnipeg Jets team won't go far. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing with that too, is, you know, it's not even just Hanola and Sandberg coming up. Like, there's been rumors for the past little bit that Patrick Line might want out. And like, that's a pretty big piece right there. You know, your, your second overall pick from a couple years ago. And uh, I know he had the quote yesterday or whatever, when he came to camp, he said, well, I'm here, aren't I? But um, that doesn't exactly sound like the um, most thrilled player in the league. And I, I think the line one's a little tougher because uh, you know, his, his value is so hard to interpret, you know, with Russell, like, yeah, like uh, he didn't really do much to, to make me think that, you know, he, like, I don't think he's going to go anywhere and play in the top six, unless it's like Detroit, maybe, you know, or LA, that might be a fine fit for him. But, you know, with someone like Patrick Line and, um, you know, the, the culture there, and um, I, I don't know, like, it's just one of those things where um, you got to wonder, you know, yeah, you mentioned they're at a disadvantage, but, um, you know, yeah, the town's not great for, uh, I mean, I'm sure Winnipeg is awesome, don't get me wrong, but uh, from, a, from a nightlife stance and the weather and everything like that, yeah, it's not great, but, you know, at the same time, you also look at how passionate that fan base is and just how nuts the playoff atmosphere is, and, you know, there's some redeeming factors there too, but obviously not enough to make up for it, and that's why, you know, you, you should be doing everything you can to try and keep this young talent, and, uh, you know, the, the Patrick line trade request, you know, him and the team haven't always seen, seen eye to eye. It seems like um, that's another one that, you know, it, it's a little um, worrying, you know, not just from the, the, the player aspect, because, you know, line, I think has some questions in himself and we can get into line in a second, but just from the fact that, you know, someone who is supposed to be the face of your organization does want out like that. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta take a look and say, okay, you know, is there anything we can prove on, you know, as you said, build a better culture. And 
I know the, the word culture gets thrown around as a buzzword quite a bit, especially in hockey circles, but um, there is legitimately good things you can do, you know, build a good organization, build a strong one that drafts within, you know, um, for example, you know, the Toronto Raptors for years were seen as a place where no one really wants to go. And I, I know this year it didn't look great with a bunch of their free agents leaving, but for the past three or four years, you know, it's been a, something that people said, this is a great organization. Like, yeah, come here or whatever. And, it feels like Winnipeg just needs that extra step to try and figure that out because right now, whatever it is, it's not working. Yeah. You know, line a would be an example, you know, Rosovic, maybe not so much, but line a, you could attribute his, you know, maybe wanting to trade. You can attribute that to mismanagement because line a, he doesn't care about Winnipeg's weather. He doesn't care about the lack of night. He's from Finland, right? He's used to the snow. He's used to all that. Whereas maybe a guy like Evander Kane, you could blame the circumstances on, well, you know, he grew up in Vancouver, you know, he's used to, you know, the sort of the, the big city aspect more. So he, there was nothing they could really do to keep Evander Kane happy. But Patrick Liney, I think you could, you could look at and point out some, some examples of mismanagement. Like a lot of people don't realize this, but like when Liney first got drafted, he wasn't even on their first power play unit. Maurice was so persistent that Liney had to earn the spot, but do you know who was on the first unit instead of him? It was Adam Lowry. Now <laughs> I have all the respect in the world for Adam Lowry. This isn't a slight on Lowry. He's a very solid player and I, I'm not trying to slight him, but I, what on earth did he do from an offensive perspective that earned him a spot on the first power play unit in, in on an NHL team? And there's actually been more than one occasion where Lion has been taken off that first unit. I mean, for all his shortcomings as a complete player, I don't think anybody would disagree that Patrick Laine's shot has no reason to be taken away from five on four hockey. So, and he also wants to play on the top line and he's been denied these sorts of things. So these are the types of things that Laine is upset with. And like I mentioned, if this pattern of talent being mismanaged keeps up and players of Laine's caliber, who, like you mentioned, they're supposed to be like face of the franchise type players. If these guys keep forcing their way out, then this compete window of Winnipeg's, which is already grim, it might disappear completely. Yeah, and that's the issue, you know, because, um, you know, right now, obviously they have the luxury of, and, you know, Line 8 showed up to camp and everything, but uh, they have the luxury of pretty much one more year. They really don't have to move them. Um, and, you know, he's still an RFA after this year, but uh, it's tough because, you know, when you're in a position like this, no team is going to be helping you out. And, um uh, you know, I, I've been trying to look around the league and, and figure out destinations and just uh, it's also harder with a, you know, a flat cap to, to try and make things work. But it's just uh, the, the interesting thing with line A to me is always going to be the uh, the, the risk uh, slash reward of trading him, because I, I think there's a scenario where if you find the right team, you might be able to win a line A trade. But at the same time, you're asking for trouble because if, you know, like he, he just, he shows so much talent, you know, in a down year, he's, you know, in back-to-back down years, quote unquote, he scored 30 goals and has been on pace for about 32 goals over an 82 game season. And so, you know, like there's very easily could be a year if he's put in the right spot offensively where he pops off for 40, 45 goals, you know, something like that. And, and so it's always the risk of, you know, trading him um, that way anyways. And, you know, this past year was interesting because I think, um, you know, his game is still far from perfect in the defensive zone. You know, in fact, I'd say it's not good, but he took, I think, at least a little bit of a step forward in terms of not becoming an all round player, but less of a liability in the zone end and maybe more of a play driver at five on five slightly anyways. So it's, it's one of those things where um, if it gets to the point where they actually really do have to trade him, 
I, I kind of, I look around the league and I ask, you know, with the flat cap and everything, where's a good spot. And, and the only one I keep circling back to right now is the Columbus blue jackets with uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who the third overall pick in that draft, who seems to want out as well. But I don't know if there's a fit there or not, but like, you know, it, it's gotta be, I think if you're trading Patrick line, it's gotta be a trade like that, where you're getting a guy who's almost his age, who has enough potential like him to, or, you know, enough skill and a big enough floor to make up for that potential. Yeah, the good news, at least with trading a guy like Liney, is I think that the Jets can win a trade with Patrick because his perceived value is just so high. I mean, goal scoring is a, is a premium. You can probably get a guy like a Pierre-Luc Dubois coming back because of the name that Patrick Liney has. Um, but with that being said, it, it becomes a slippery slope where you just, you don't want guys like him just continue. I mean, like Dustin Bufflin's another guy who, allegedly just lost interest in hockey when he was playing for this team and just up and retired out of nowhere. Uh, Tobias Enstrom was very upset that he was benched in the, uh, the, the Vegas game and uh, that, that 2018 playoff run that the Jets had. There's just so many guys that are starting to get, you know, really angry within this organization. And I think it's got to be very worrisome or, or at the very least a red flag that, that needs to be monitored. Yeah, for sure. It, it, I mean, you, like we just named what four, four examples in the past five minutes over the past like four or five years. And again, you can write one or two of them maybe off as, you know, like Evander Kane, you can write off as, okay, there wasn't much we could do, you know, um, maybe, you know, maybe Dustin Bufflin just didn't want to play hockey. I don't know, but you know, and then you get to the things like Tobias Enstrom, them not bringing back Tobias Enstrom. And because, you know, they sat him, it's just, it's one of the most, um, relatively unfair for how just, you know, like of not a huge name he is. It's just one of the most unforgivable things because, like he was such a good defensive defenseman. And even the year before he left, he was amazing at, you know, in his own end, he didn't provide much offensively, but he was one of the league's best guys in his own end. And yeah, you know, as you mentioned, they, they frustrated him so much. And then I, I didn't, couldn't come to a contract with him that he went back to Europe and he, he's been playing in Sweden since then. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely that kind of thing where like, I, I don't know what the fix is if, it's just a management down type of thing. If it's a coaching thing, I really don't know. But, um, you know, as you said, something's got to change fast because if it doesn't, you know, you're, you're running into a thing where, you know, if you keep having guys ask out, you're never going to be a good team. And, you know, your window that you might have coming up or right now is definitely going to slam shut. Yeah. And I mean, it's, all those defensemen that left too are also, I mean, you could, you can blame that on why the Winnipeg Jets are, you know, like I said, they're kind of, the, that's the scapegoat. They lost Bufflin, they lost Enstrom, they lost Truba. All these guys wanted nothing to do with Winnipeg when it was all said and done. I'm glad that you brought up Tobias Enstrom too, because he's been a very polarizing figure in Winnipeg for years. I think a lot of people had this preconceived notion that because he was so small, that he was like always shying away from contact and this, that, and the third, but I think if anybody actually watched him closely, I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, and, and to Paul Maurice's credit, he called Tobias Enstrom, I think, don't quote me on this, but I believe he called him the toughest player that he's ever coached. And I think the reason that he said that is because Enstrom used to be this guy that he would just, he would go to the corner of the boards in the defensive zone. And he was always willing to make a hit or always willing to take the hit. But what he always did was he would get that puck out of the corner and he would get hit after, right? And but the, what people weren't seeing was the breakout pass that he made that sprung the, the play free, right? And the puck always ended up in the offensive zone when Enstrom was on the ice. But all people ever saw, right, was him eating this hit after the fact. 
And they thought, oh, he's too small. He can't play. He's not tough enough. But doesn't that make him actually tougher because he's smaller and pound for pound, he's willing to take these hits that that actually, you know, I don't understand how people thought it, it used to bug me for years that people thought that he was just, just this not tough player, but uh, yeah, they're missing guys like him tremendously right now. Uh, I mean, this team, if you brought back like the results that that Bufflin and Anstrom pairing had from that 2018 season, I mean, that now maybe we could talk about the Jets potentially competing, you know, with the Leafs for maybe that top spot in this division. I, I don't know, but uh, they're definitely missing something. And, and I can't see them being anywhere, you know, near the top of this division, this Canadian division, realistically. I mean, it could happen, but I think their range of outcomes is more anywhere in that, that sort of two to six range than it is or in that four to six range that it is in that two to three range. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm just on hockeyviz.com right now looking at the 2018 Enstrom season. And, um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, they have the shot maps. So it's uh, heat maps of, you know, where shots are allowed when you're the player was on the ice and in his own end, it is just this sea of dark blue in front of the net, which um, is exactly what you want. Nothing was generated from in front of the net when Enstrom was on the ice all year. And um, yeah, as you said, the, the narratives are always weird, you know, um, Enstrom, you know, a guy like Enstrom can make a great smart pass, take a hit, you know, and he'll, he'll be fearless without doing or doing it every time. And, you know, in theory, that should make him one of the toughest players out there, but people just see the hit and, you know, see some six foot five guy who's never near the puck throwing it and go, Oh, that's the guy we want because he's making the hit regardless, even though the puck is well on its way up the ice every time he throws the hit. So um, that, that's just a narrative of hockey anyways, but yeah, I mean, let's get to Winnipeg real quick and just where we see them in the standings. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head where if they're going to, I mean, anything can happen. Again, I, I say this every episode, it's a 56 game season. The variance here is going to be more than we, you know, we see in any other normal year, right? Um, so anything can happen. But I think if I had to put them somewhere, it would definitely be closer to the, uh, you know, four to six range in the tier and I think honestly, right now I have them probably fifth or maybe even sixth in this division, just because, you know, I, I really like Toronto. I think that Calgary and Edmonton have some issues, but I do like both of those teams. And, you know, I, I have questions about Montreal, but I thought they have improved a lot this year. It'll just depend on things like health and can they get some goal scoring. And then, you know, Vancouver's, uh, they got some good young rookies as well. So uh, Winnipeg's definitely in tough, you know, they, they have talent and if their top six can, uh, show up like you know we've seen them do in the years past and if they get someone like Sammy Niku playing with Josh Morrissey um you know don't count this team out by any means but I definitely think that the uh the more likely outcome is kind of that four to six range for sure yeah like I think everybody's expectation of the Canadian division this year is that I think that's what it's called right the north or Canadian north division yeah. yeah I can't even the Canadian division is what I've just been calling it uh but I think everyone's expectation is that the Leafs will finish at the top. The senators will finish at the bottom and then anything realistically, like you said, because of variance, uh, it can happen in the middle. Um, if I had to bet, I would say the Alberta teams probably make up the second and third place uh, rankings and that Winnipeg's best chance of making the playoffs would be beating out like Montreal and Vancouver for that fourth spot. But uh, I think they, like you said, they are in tough. Um, if they adjust their scheme a little bit, I do think they can overcome their lack of defense with their offensive horsepower. I always point to the 2017 Pittsburgh Penguins team. They want to, they won with like, I think Ron Hainsey was on their top pair in the playoffs. Chris Letang was injured and they had 
it was like Hainsey, Ian Cole, Tre- Trevor Daly. That was an uh, unreal event score. <laughs> yeah, like like Mark Strite, I think, was playing yeah. in that uh, semifinal. Oli Mata, like it was a bad group of defensemen, but but they won the Stanley Cup. It, to be fair, people will always point out, yeah, but the Jets don't have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin down the middle, which is obviously fair. But then Jets fans will also remember the playoff push they made back in 2015, the first year they made the playoffs. They suffered a ton of injuries on the blue line. They had a top pair of Bufflin and Sherratt. Uh, and then the bottom four was made up of Mark Stewart, Jay Harrison, Adam Party, and Tucker Pullman. And they were winning games and they were outplaying teams and they were doing really good. They had a solid group of forwards and they were doing great things offensively. So I think if there's one position you want to be weak at, I think it's defense. And history supports this. And I don't think you can win without offense. So, like I said, I don't think the Jets will finish second or third or be one of these top-end teams. But I do think that, with variance in mind, they are the type of team who can benefit from a shortened schedule. They have this just abundance of offensive talent that you simply do not want to play against if they catch fire. So this is the type of team that I can see just getting to the playoffs, which is probably what my hope is as a fan, and then just getting hot at the right time. But, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, I was just Yeah. But like I said, in order for the, the Jets to become a dominant force again, I think it's going to come off the back of some pretty big bets. Uh, I think there's a world where a lot of these things happen. Like we could see Shifley return to 2018 form. We could see Josh Morrissey bounce back and be a, you know, a top pairing or, you know, at least a, a number two defenseman. Hellebuck can remain the, the best goalie in the league. Some of these rookies can step up, make an immediate impact. Maybe Sammy Niku actually, you know, lives up to that HL defenseman of the year type hype. But am I betting on the majority of these things happening? Absolutely not. So I'm definitely more concerned than I am optimistic about this team's chances this year. Yeah, and it's totally fair. And I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where, um, I know in Ottawa, just, you know, sometimes people have been trying to convince themselves that this team won't be so bad. And it, it's kind of a lot of the things, but even sometimes even further stretched out than what Winnipeg has, where it's like, well, Matt Murray just has to play like he did two years ago. And Stutzla and uh, Batherson and Brown all have to come in and be really good, regardless if they even make the team out of training camp, some of those guys. And, you know, the, the fence doesn't have to be a complete like tire fire. And, and like, you just get to the point where you're listing four or five things that need to happen just for a team to not be bottom five or 10 in the league. And it's like, okay, so at this point, it's pretty realistic to expect them to be five or 10, bottom five or 10 in the league. The same is with the Jets just to, a lesser extent, in my opinion, right? Like, it's like you, you name all these things, not for them to not totally suck, but just for them to be one of the top five to 10 teams in the league again, instead of that 12 to 22 range, where I think they're kind of lumped into right now. And, you know, I, I do think the, the one good thing for Winnipeg is that, you know, as much as we talk about their um, poor defense, um, and, you know, I think you made a great point about how if there's one thing that's going to be poor, it better be defense because that's the only, you know, we've seen teams win with poor defense. We haven't seen teams win with bad center depth or, you know, bad centers, bad forwards or bad goaltending. It doesn't happen. But um, with Winnipeg, it's not like the rest of this, this division is um, insanely good in their own end either. You know, like Toronto and Edmonton are both very, very poor in their own end. 
Calgary's got some questions on the blue line as well, you know, that you might be able to take advantage of, you know, Ottawa's going to be a mess in their own end. Uh, Vancouver, you know, they need, you know, the rookies to step up up front, I think, to be, you know, and help them back. And, and uh, I, I like Montreal in their own end, but I don't know about them scoring. But uh, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is, you know, if, you, if you're looking for one bright spot for Winnipeg, it's that the, the, the great forwards they have might be able to take advantage of some of these weaker defensive structures in the North Division. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's a matter of like, is a full season of Dylan DeMello, is that, will that actually really help this team? Will, will you know, a full season you know, of, of Paul Stastny uh, coming to the team, this is definitely going to improve the team. But the only issue is, is it just doesn't look like it's very likely that it's going to make up for that difference of Connor Hellebuck re- just regressing and coming back down to earth. I mean, we all know that goaltending isn't the most stable metric year to year fluctuates like crazy to the point where most statisticians just write it off and they call it voodoo. So uh, unfortunately it looks like Winnipeg's best shot at making any noise this year lies on Hellebuck being this goaltending unicorn that just, you know, posts this, you know, absurd save percentage and just, you know, robs every single scoring chance that happens. But I, I just, I'm not confident that these acquisitions they made while they are good is enough to make up for that. Like you said earlier, just that natural regression that I feel is, uh, not only do I feel it's likely, I feel like it's maybe it's, it's a guarantee. Yeah. Like I would be, I don't know. I would be very, very shocked if Hellebuck could post another season like that. And that's nothing on him. It's just, that's how good last season was for him. And, you know, and that's been my biggest worry heading in is, is, are they going to change enough? Has the personnel changed enough? Has the scheme changed enough to make up even for, you know, that lit, even if he drops back a little bit, you know, if he goes from the best goalie in the league to the seventh best goalie, um, that's still a big enough gap when on a team like this that just barely made playoffs last year. So did they do enough this offseason to change? And we'll just have to wait and see, you know, um, uh, it's definitely going to be an exciting year. I think they should be a team that at least stays in it. I, I think the top six teams should all be relatively close, you know, barring a huge injury or anything, obviously that would eliminate them. But, um, you know, I, I think this should be a very exciting year for hockey and, you know, I'm glad it's only one year, but I am excited for one year of 56 games of chaos and, and just all in a Canadian division. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, I'd kind of just totally tuned out of hockey. So, uh, you know, the pandemic was just really weird and, you know, a lot of my habits changed. And I, I honestly wasn't even thinking about hockey until you asked me about a week ago to do this. So uh, I'm getting really excited for hockey season. I'm glad you, you know, you asked me to be on and it's kind of getting me back into, you know, we're kind of getting back to a normal here. I'm, I'm getting excited for hockey and as low as my expectations might be, I mean, Hey, I, I'm still looking forward to this 56 game schedule. Like you said, anything can happen. Uh, I think anytime you shorten the schedule, a team like the Winnipeg Jets, that, that benefits them a lot. So Hey, maybe they get lucky. I mean, they got lucky with Hellebuck playing so great last year. I mean, maybe they get lucky and get like 25 games of that even and, and sneak into the playoffs. And like I said, maybe their shooters catch fire. I mean, uh, who knows? But uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what this team does. Cautiously optimistic, but uh, yeah, it, it should be exciting. I, I can't wait to see how it all, how it all unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we can wrap it up there. You know, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you, find your work, all that stuff? Well, you can find me on Twitter at J-M-A-L-L-95. Um, I'm actually a bit of a free agent right now in terms of writing. Like you said, I, I'm technically still with Jets Nation, but I haven't really written anything uh, for them in about a year now. Um, 
I know my buddy, uh, Brian Johnston, Brian with a Y, uh, 18, Brian Johnson, 18 on Twitter. He's thinking of starting a blog up, uh, which will have more of like a sort of a, a stats twist to it. So I think I might be joining that, uh, maybe in the, in the near future, you can check for me, but, uh, yeah, other than that, I'm kind of just been, you know, just vibing, just chilling on Twitter and not really, I haven't really had the motivation to be writing recently. So, uh, maybe you'll see some of that in the near future, but, uh, yeah, other than that, it's just, uh, it's just been Twitter for me. And I mean, I, again, I, I try to, uh, read or you know whatever whatever guests i have on I, I like reading what they do you know but uh with you it's uh even if it's just a follow on twitter i always find you know i get a laugh out of some of your um um shit tweets and maybe i can say uh th- th- it doesn't even matter what sport you know football there's sometimes and just not even just those but you know um great insight as well so um definitely recommend the follow and, and you know i hope to see you back writing soon too um thank you so much for joining me today i'll have to have you back on later in the year you know as the games actually get going and the jets are playing no thanks for having me uh, this was a lot of fun and uh, like you said i hope we can do this again in the future maybe i don't know mid-season or uh post-season recap whatever it might be uh i'd be glad to be back on anytime once again a huge thanks to john for joining me i really enjoy the conversation uh, it feels like every week you know i get to talk to someone new and just the stuff that uh you know they they share and you know i get to learn it's just it's really been um a very, very enjoyable experience so far. And, you know, I, I look to build on it as the season gets started. Uh, I know I, I think everyone is probably just excited as I am that, you know, hockey's just around the corner. So, uh, yeah, once again, if, if you have any notes, anything like that, you know, um, you know, let me know on Twitter. And, you know, thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Uh, you know, like and share. It really, really helps. Um, and, you know, you can find this podcast pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple, you name it. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Thank you.